Okay. Good morning. Are we doing all right? Good. Well, as Hannah said, my name's Alid. I'm one of the members here at King's and part of the leadership team. Uh, And it's an absolute privilege of mine to uh, preach and share the word of God today. Uh, We're currently going through as a church uh, a series looking through the Gospel of Matthew, uh, four new books in the New Testament, which basically describe the works and the words of Jesus, what he said, what he did. And uh, we're going to be going through Matthew uh, chapter 11 today. So if you have got your Bibles, uh, you can look through that. Today, I am unapologetically going to just spend 25 minutes sharing the gospel. Isn't that good? And that's basically what we've been singing about. Um, I kind of thought when I was preparing this, I was thinking, I wonder whether people are starting to get a little bit bored of hearing the same things. And, you know, I was, I was reading some stuff. And in water, I was in Waterstones in the, in, on Wednesday morning, and I was there, and I started to cry. And I thought, man, they're going to come over and say, what's wrong with the coffee? There's nothing wrong with the coffee. It's just, I'm looking at what Jesus has done, and I'm just in awe of how incredible he is. And I, I don't care whether you've heard the gospel one time. This might be the first time this morning. You may have heard it thousands of times. It is life to us. And so tonight I'm in faith that whether you've heard this lots and lots of times before, I know that this morning as the word goes out, it's going to do something in our spirits and our hearts where we're going to turn it back to praise and say, Jesus, you are wonderful. Whereas I'm also in faith today that there may be one or two of you here today that kind of, maybe here you're out of intrigue, maybe you're just thinking, what is this kind of Christian massive all about? And maybe you're just going to come and have a listen and maybe today you're going to hear a few things and I think God's going to do something in your heart and we're going to just see what that's going to be. Before that, I'm, I'm not going to read it out. We're actually going to listen to it. So I've had it recorded, and we're going to listen to it together. It's quite a long chapter. Um, so we're going to go from uh, verses 1 to 6, and then we're going to skip all the way down to verses 20 to 30. If you haven't got a Bible, it will come up behind me. Um, and let's just have a quick listen to that now. Okay? Matthew 11, verses 1 to 30. When Jesus had finished instructing his disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. He began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works had been done in you, had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you, that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. At that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All these things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal to him. 
Come to me, all you labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Lord, I pray that as we get into this passage today, uh, you would do something in our hearts. We just say in the same way as we said at the beginning of worship, we're here for you right now. We just say in these next 25 minutes or so, we are here to receive what you have to say to us uh, today. Amen. Amen. Let me just start by asking you a question. Have you ever um, been in a situation, maybe in an encounter, uh, maybe actually just by reading the news or watching the news, and you find yourself saying things like this, what on earth is wrong with the world? Have you heard those kind of phrases, even said them come out of your mouth? Or what on earth is wrong with people? What were they actually thinking? And uh, I was just kind of looking, even just this last week, looking at some news articles of different things that have been going on, like this one. Or this one. Here's another one. Or this one. Or this one. And it goes on. Here's another. And another. And it actually makes for some sobering reading, doesn't it? And there's lots of great things on the news as well. I think it's, um, is it Southeast Today? I think every day they, try, they make sure that they have something positive where they kind of have a story from somewhere in the local area. Something, some, you know, someone who's doing something great and it's brilliant. But generally, if you were to look at the main broad scope of news, you would say, actually, a lot of it are things like that, isn't it? There's lots of things that are going on that you just think, what on earth is going on? Um, a friend of mine recently just came back from Cambodia, and she was saying she heard um, a story of someone who was actually um, put into slavery on a boat, didn't see daylight, were often regularly beaten, uh, they had to stay awake for days working, um, even saw someone murdered in front of them. And the thing that she said, which kind of struck me most, she said, I'm, I was amazed at how awful humans could be to humans. Isn't that true? How awful humans could be to humans. In any stage of history, wherever you look... You can see through greed, through strife, through anger. We seem to have found ever more creative ways, actually, of fulfilling our own ambitions and wants at the detriment of other people. Bullying in Parliament. The sex scandal in Hollywood, and actually pretty much everywhere else that's come out in the last several months. Tax evasion by the biggest firms. Human trafficking now at an all-time high. And those questions of what is wrong with people or what is wrong with the world become really relevant and real questions, don't they? And actually, they're questions that not only we would ask, but actually everyone in Hastings and Bexhill and the surrounding areas, they'll be, be looking at the news and thinking the same thing. What on earth has gone wrong? What is wrong with people? And on the Wednesday morning, I was actually looking at some forums and things, just trying to work out what people think the response would be. Or should be. I even asked a few people, I asked them this question. I said, if you had to choose one thing, what do you think could fix the world's problems? Now, obviously, that's quite an emotive question. These things people often say, well, there's more than one thing. But if I had to nail them down to one thing, here are some of the things that they said. Education was high on the list. We need to teach people. We need to teach them how to be fair, how to be right. How about this one? More money. Or actually, better put, better uh, kind of resourcing all around. Dispersion of resources or dispersion of money. Better governance. 
It's so easy to just blame people that lead over us. Religion, justice, or just harsher consequences. Just punish more and we'll see less. How about just get, let's just get rid of those who undermine and cause division. How about just destroying the weapons? Let's just destroy all the weapons and that would solve the issue. The problem is, is that we have actually tried every single one of those, have we not? Over time, we've tried all of them. I was just reading this morning, Boris Johnson, and you know, the Iranian nuclear arms deal. It's again, let's try and push. We're going to try and get rid of weapons. North Korea and that stuff. We've tried. You see, the problem is it doesn't seem to solve the root issue of what's going on in men's hearts, does it? And the Bible makes it very clear that the root issue actually underlying all of these headlines, all of these things that we hear and see is the darkness in a man's heart. Or the Bible describes it as the word sin in each and every one of us. The sin in our hearts. And, and you may look at those things and say, crumbs, I, I could never do that. You see, sin is this. It's the capacity in all of us to do things that damage other people and damage ourselves. And each and every one of us can do that. So you may not have had some mass tax evasion, but I bet you've thought about cheating in Monopoly. <laughs> it's that little thing in our brain that just thinks, actually, in order for me to get or win or do this, I, I, I could just do that, or I could just do that. You may not have actually ever in this room stabbed or shot someone like we've just read there, but there's even something in our hearts where actually, if we're honest, we've sometimes wished people harm because there's something they've done which has upset and hurt us. It's this shadow of sin, and it's the capacity in each and every one of us to do it. The Bible says that all of us have fallen short of God's standards. Dare I say, I think all of us have short and fall of our own standards. Do you think? Often, often I think, why on earth did I do that? That's, that's, that's so low, even for me. I just think, that, I haven't even met my own standards in that. And with sin being in all of us, the Bible takes it one step further because he says, because sin is an issue for all of us, we need something outside of ourselves to fix the problem. We need something outside of ourselves. We need a solution. We need a fix. We need an answer that is outside of ourselves or outside of our own means. And do you know what? This morning we have the remarkable opportunity of reading and exploring not only what that answer is, but how we can receive it. It's in the Bible. See, God is so aware of the sin. He's so aware of the mess. He's, he's, not, he's not unaware of it. He's fully aware of it. And actually, he's fully engaged in dealing with it. And in this book, in the Bible, we see how God promises to provide an answer for this deep-rooted issue of sin in all of us. And all through the Old Testament, all through the first part of the Bible, all through history, God makes promise after promise after promise on how there will be one to come that will be able to unravel the nature of sin and bring restoration. It talks of a one to come. It's promise after promise. I, I know of about 25, there may even be more, but there's 25 descriptions and promises, uh, prophecies if you like, that describe the one to come that God has promised. So we can see it in things like Numbers 24, 17. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. 
A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. So this is the point where suddenly we now know whereabouts it might come from. This answer is going to come from the people of Jacob or the people of Israel. This, this clan, this group of people, someone one day is going to rise up out of this nation and they're going to bring restoration. Isaiah 7.14. So this is nearly 1,300 years later. So this is a lot of waiting, isn't it? All of creation, we're all aware of the tension, we're all aware of the issues of sin, and we're waiting. And we're waiting. There's this promise, but when is it going to come? 1,300 years later, Isaiah says this, 7.14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? We often hear that at Christmas time. It's talking about a birth of a particular person. Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. More promises. He's coming. He's on his way. Aslan is on the move. He's coming. Isaiah 53.9. He had done no violence. There was no deceit in his mouth. We start to get more descriptions of this, what this person's going to be like. He is not like us. The deceit and the sin. He is someone different. Isaiah 35. And this is where we start to really get a description of what this person's going to do. And it's beautiful. It says this, Isaiah 35. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. And the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and tongue of the mute sing for joy. This is the promised one that is to come. You know, the questions that we're asking about what is wrong with the world, they are questions that have been asked from the very beginning. And everyone from the very beginning have been looking saying, when is this one going to come? How are we going to solve this issue of sin? And this promise has been made, it's been spoken. And all through the generations, all through the stories, they're whispering, there's one to come, there's one to come. And this one is going to bring about such wonderful, wonderful things. This is the answer. This is the solution. This is the only fix because we've tried everything in and of ourselves and we have got very little distance, haven't we? Whereas Jesus promises one to come. God promises one to come. And after a further 435 years or so, we come to the passage we're in today. And there's this uh, rather odd guy called John the Baptist. And he's been proclaiming the one who is to come. He's been a prophet who's saying the kingdom is nearly near. This one, he's nearly here. And he hears the news of this guy called Jesus. He's actually in prison and he, and he, he catches word that there's this guy... And he, he starts to have a bit of anticipation, a bit of faith in his heart, and he's thinking, oh, I wonder, is this the one? I wonder, is this the answer? Is this the final fix? Is this God's solution? And he sends words to him. He says this. He tentatively asks with that hope in his heart. He says, are you the one? Are you the one that we've been waiting for? Generation after generation, history, all history, pointing, saying there's going to be one. Are you, are you the one? Are you finally here? He's asking if Jesus is the one that was promised. He's asking 
if Jesus is the solution to the sin in men's heart. He's asking if Jesus is the one that can finally bring about restoration. He's asking if Jesus is the one that shall bring life in fullness. He's asking if Jesus is the one that can turn bad news headlines finally into some good news headlines. Jesus is the long-awaited answer. He's saying, are you the hope for the world? Are you the one that was promised? And this is what Jesus says. Bearing in mind what we've already read from Scripture, this is what he says. Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. And the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. Jesus, God's answer to man's problem, has finally walked onto the scene. Wow. I don't want us just to read the story and say, that's nice. I want you to understand that we're living in a good day. Because every day before Jesus was a longing for God to do something. Send someone. And then Jesus arrives on the scene. And he says, I am the one that was promised. I am the one that can restore all things. Now we're not going to focus so much on verses 7 to 19 today. But basically Jesus affirms who John the Baptist is. And in doing so, in affirming who John the Baptist is, he actually fulfills previous prophecies, which basically means that John the Baptist is proclaiming that Jesus, the Messiah, is coming. So he's actually reassuring, reasserting himself as, I'm the Messiah that is to come. But we're not going to focus so much on that. I want to look at uh, from verses 20 onwards. So let's read it from there. He says, He began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazan. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Right? And he goes on to describe other towns and cities who God judged because they rejected his message. Now, what is Jesus doing? Well, I think after establishing who John the Baptist was and therefore who he is, he brings a warning. He brings a warning. He's saying, I am the one that you've all been waiting for. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Because here are some situations where people missed the blessing of God. In fact, they rejected God. And you see, a life without God is not good. In fact, he even describes some of the nature in which God's judgment fallen people who run away from him. It's a warning. After confirming and establishing who John the Baptist was and confirming that he is the one that the world has been waiting for, he goes on to warn of the consequences that follow those who reject God and his message. He says things like this in verse 15. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Don't reject the solution that is right before your very eyes. Verse 27. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son. Jesus is proclaiming that he is the answer that we've all been waiting for. And that anything outside of Jesus ultimately, like those cities before, come to ruin. Now let me just quickly explain this as best or illustrate it as best as I possibly could. I'm just going to 
poach Roz's phone. I've done this illustration before, but I think I find, I find it helpful. There is life in this phone. There is life in this phone in that it lights up. I could probably ring someone. I could take a photograph. I could do all those things. <laughs> it could ring. There's life in this phone. But the problem with this phone is this. It's dying. Because without it being plugged into a life source, one day this battery will run out and it will never, ever, ever on its own be able to turn on again, will it? Never. And Jesus is saying, I am the solution. You need to plug your life into me. And do you know, I don't think he's so much threatening a punishment. I think he's warning of a consequence. These people who rejected my message and did not plug into the life source of God's Without the life source of God, there's only one option. Your battery will run out and it will never turn on again. It's a consequence. It's a warning of judgment. And this is what Jesus is doing. Thanks, Ross. This is what Jesus is doing. He's saying, I am the final solution. I am the one who has come and to bring restoration to all things. Let him have ears to hear. Let him hear this. I can give you life. I can bring restoration to your life. But it's only through me. It's only through Jesus. You turn your back on him. If you refuse to plug your life into the life source of God on your own, even what you do now is just but by the grace of God. And one day that will end. It's a really sobering thing that he says. John 14, 6 says this. This is what Jesus says about himself. He says, I am the way. I am the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I find it really interesting because he then goes on to, he even acknowledges, if you like, how foolish it sounds, how crazy it sounds, right? Now, I appreciate there'll be even people in here tonight who just say, this just sounds crazy, all right? But it's interesting because Jesus even says this. He says, I thank you, Father, in verse 25, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. There's another point in the New Testament that the Apostle Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians, and I find it really helpful. He says, For the word of of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. There's something of a recognition that this is not the way that any one of us would have planned a rescue story if we were in charge of writing the script. Do you understand that? All of us would have said that this... This is a crazy story. It would never sell. You see, for God, he doesn't write the way that we write. He doesn't plan the way that we plan. Actually, what he does is he makes an incredible sacrifice in his son. And he basically makes the ask of, you just need to be obedient and have faith in me. And there's this incredible transaction that takes place. And you know, even this morning, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to that in a few moments. And I don't know whether you'd even understand it all up here. But there'll be something in your heart that is knocking on your heart that you say, I know that God is here. I know that he's done something in my life. And it's it's not something that that we're trying to persuade or trying to argue in terms of semantics of words. or the Actually, the power is in the Bible. The power says, power is in the cross. In the fact that he said he was who he said he was. He died, and three days later, he, three days later, he rose again. Yes. This is the power of the Jesus who has come. 
He says, you can't intellectually fight your way out of this one. It's not time for wise and persuasive words. Jesus isn't interested in trying to talk through the semantics of what is at play here. He simply says this, you've heard the promises. You've heard the proclamation of John the Baptist. I'm saying I'm here and I've come. You've got two choices here. You follow me or you don't. But I love the way that Jesus doesn't finish there. I love the way how he finishes this section of scripture. He doesn't just talk about avoiding consequences of not being connected into life. He actually describes some of the promises of what happens when you get connected into life. I love this. Because I think these are some of the solutions what the whole world is looking for. He says this in verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. How many of those news stories, when you read them, you just think, I wonder how many people involved in those things, what they're crying out for is peace and rest. Actually, if you look at people that are workaholics, they're trying to actually, they're trying to find the approval of other people. They're also trying to win themselves or trying to get to a place of peace and rest in themselves. I've finally done enough. I've finally achieved this sense of peace and rest. And Jesus says, come to me those who are weary, those who are burdened, and I can give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This solution, this fix, this answer that we've all been waiting for, let me tell you this morning, it is only found in Jesus Christ. It is only found in Jesus. Jesus is everything. He changes everything. In Jesus, people can change. In Jesus, nations can be shaken. Sickness can be lifted. Oppression can be tackled. Sinful hearts can be transformed in a way that not education and religion and politics and all that stuff could do. God does something from the inside where he changes and transforms our hearts Peace can be restored. And you know what? Even death has now been overcome because of what Jesus has done. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good, good news? Jesus, the answer that the world is crying out for is everything. John says, are you the one that we've always, that we've been looking for, that we've been pointing to, we've been finding? Yes. Jesus says, I'm finally here. I am the one. I am the one. I was um, reading part of this book by Lee Strobel, The Case for Christ. And let me just quickly read uh, just a bit that he says at the end of this when he's talking about receiving him. He says this, Every other faith system I studied during my investigation was based on the do plan. In other words, it was necessary for people to do something. For example, use the Tibetan prayer wheel, pay alms, go on pilgrimages, Undergo reincarnations, work off karma from the past, misdeeds. Reform their character to try to somehow earn their way back to God. Despite their best efforts, lots of sincere people just wouldn't make it. Christianity is unique. It's based on the done plan. Jesus has done for us on the cross what we cannot do for ourselves. He has paid the death penalty that we deserve for our rebellion and wrongdoing so that we can become reconciled with God. 
I didn't have to struggle and strive to try to do the impossible of making myself worthy. Over and over, the Bible says that Jesus offers forgiveness and eternal life as a free gift that cannot be earned. It's called grace. Amazing grace. Unmerited favour. It's available to anyone who receives it in a sincere prayer of repentance, even someone like me. I don't know about you, maybe you're here and you might say, I'm one of those people. Even someone like me? Yes. Yes. Jesus says, even someone like you. I've, um, I've been married for 11 years now. And uh, when we got married, we made some, me and my wife Lou, she's not here this morning, but we made some covenant promises to one another. But also what happens when you get married is that everything that was mine became hers, which was very little. Um, and everything that was hers became mine, which was great for me. <laughs> But do you know what? This, this transaction, what happens when Jesus comes on the scene is this. We are, we are fully aware of our sin and our inadequacies. We know the shadow of sin in our hearts that has led us to do things and have regrets and these, this stuff. It's almost as though we have built up a debt to God. It says in the Bible that all of us, like I said before, have fallen short of God's mark. And it's almost as though we could count on lists and lists of the things that we've done, which we, we say they even fall short of our own standards. And we come to a marriage day, and there's God on the other side. There's Jesus. And when we choose to come into this covenant relationship with Jesus, everything that was ours, our mess and our sin and our junk, it went on Jesus on the cross. Every single one. And you know what? If you were to respond today, it wouldn't just be the sins of yesterday. It wouldn't even just be the sins for today. Every sin in your life has or will be committed after Jesus died for you. It was all put on him on the cross. And he takes that punishment for us. And he dies in our place. He pays off, if you like, your debt. Do you know what's even more crazy, though? It's not just that my junk and my rubbish goes on Jesus. It says that Jesus is the wealthiest guy around. It says he, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He, he, he owns everything. And do you know what? When I come into this covenant relationship with him, the blessings and the richness of Christ, I, go, I, I, I receive his name. And now all that was his is now adopted to me, and I am now... I stand here today now one of the richest guys who have ever lived. Not because of what's in my bank account, not because of the size of my house and my salary, but because Jesus has credited his righteousness to me, even though I did not deserve it, even though I didn't earn it, but in this faith statement where I say, Jesus, I put my faith in you, he took all of my junk and my rubbish, he took my consequence on the cross, and he has paid back to me a blessing upon blessing that for all eternity we're going to be able to enjoy in him. I don't know why you're not smiling. This is crazy good news. The world was asking a solution to fix the problem. Do you know God went so much further? Do you understand that? He didn't just deal with the junk. He almost actually, he, he went so much further. He says that he actually even adopted you into his family. Yes. 
It's not just that your position is that I was far away and now I'm close. Actually, you now receive everything in that position from him. You have an inheritance, you have his name, you have his blessing, you have his authority. It's incredible what Jesus has done on the cross. He was the solution. He was, he was the answer that we've all been crying out for. And Jesus says, don't miss it. God, don't miss it. Don't miss it. Let me just very quickly just... There's, um, I'm going slightly off notes here, but that's all right, because I think I've got about one minute. Um, a while back, I read some of the, um, this is my king statement, and I'm just going to do it again, because I think that as I tell you more about this Jesus, it will do something in your heart. It will do something where you say, man, this is my saviour. This is my God. Because however much you put Jesus in your mind, he's so much better than that. Heavens declare his glory, and the earth shows off his power. No means of measure can define his limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his shoreless supply. No barriers can hinder him from pouring out his blessing. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. He's God's son. He's our sinner's saviour. He's the centrepiece of civilization. He's unique, guys. He's unparalleled, unprecedented, supreme. He's the only one able to supply all of, all of our needs simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathises and he saves. He guards, he guides, he heals the sick. Today you can come sick cry out to Jesus. He could heal you. He discharges debtors and he delivers the captives. He defends the feeble and he blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He rewards the diligent and he beautifies the meek. This is the Jesus. This is the answer that we were crying out for. And he's arrived on the scene. And he's he's available for each and every one of us. His promise is sure. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless and his love and mercy everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough and reign is righteous. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. There was nobody before him. There will be nobody after him. No election shall remove him. No Brexit shall shake him. No war could ever hinder him. He's indescribable incomprehensible, invincible, irresistible. You can't outlive him and you can't live without him. Do you know what? Herod couldn't kill him. Science won't kill him. The grave couldn't hold him. He always has been and always will be. Jesus, the king above all kings, the lord above all lords, the answer, the solution, the fix to what the world has been crying out for and is available for you right now today. Amen? Why don't you stand up? I'm just going to pray. Um, maybe if the band come up. Is that, so maybe if, if Janelle and the guys can come up. I'm just going to pray, and then I'm going to leave it over to um, Paul and Paul, and, and that to kind of lead from here. I believe this morning that there will be people in here that have heard that for the thousandth time, but even as I've been speaking, the Holy Spirit has been stirring in you a fresh faith, say, yes, hallelujah, what an amazing God I serve. I hope that's most of us. Do you know what? I, I reckon that there's probably a number of people, in fact, statistically, there'll be a number of people in here today that would say, hand on heart, I don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. 
Can I encourage you? Can I urge you? In fact, can I plead with you? Don't leave this place without considering the fix to your problems. Don't leave this place. Don't leave this place without at least considering, is this Jesus for me? Why don't we just quickly close our eyes and I'm just going to pray for all of us. And then I'll leave these guys to to wrap it up. Oh, Jesus, hope of the world. (laughs) We say thank you. Oh, thank you. Lord, you could have left us in our sin and a mess and not one person could have argued and said that was wrong. Yet you chose not only to deal with the mess in my life, but you went so much further. Can you just enter the door, Pebbles? You went so much further. You brought us into a family. You called us your own. And you've given us an inheritance and a blessing. And Lord, for those of us that we say we've never asked you into our life before, we we come to a place where we we recognise that I know that I haven't been able to do enough on my own. Whether it's all the good things I've done or even the bad things I'm ashamed of, we come to you and we say, Jesus, will you do for me what I could never do for myself? Would you die my death? Would you rise again on the third day? And I want to be in you. I want to be hidden in Christ. And one day I want to see you face to face and say thank you in person. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Why don't you just spend 30 seconds just thanking God for your salvation? Just do that now. Just maybe just close your eyes and just say, God, I want to thank you that you came. That you came. And that you did everything needed for me to be in arm's grip with you. And all I do today is I just reach out my arm and say thank you for the cross. Thank you for all that you've done. Amen.